It is Friday morning, March 17, 2023. Uh, it's 9.40am. Specifically, I've got a, a cup of coffee. I'm sitting at my desk in my music studio, which is at a place called The Meat Market on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I am kind of doing this on a whim, but also I have thought about it. I I like the idea of talking to you, uh, amorphous mass of humans that are subscribed to my email newsletter, (laughs) if I can call you that. (laughs) You know, my day job is in radio, so I'm pretty comfortable sitting in front of a microphone talking to imaginary people. But, um, I mean, if you read my last newsletter, I guess you maybe got a sense of what I've been thinking about recently, just in terms of, I'm probably thinking a bit too much about it, but I'm, I've been thinking about what it is I'm really doing when I put my music out or when I write emails thinking that people might read them, these newsletters where I go on about things. It's a bit meta, I guess, but I've just been thinking about, you know, why am I doing it? What's it all for? I'm doing it partly for me. It feels good to express myself and to articulate myself, not just from an ego perspective, but also it's just part of life. It's part of processing existence, at least for me, is to reformulate it and contextualize it. And sometimes doing that with that imaginary reader, imaginary listener, that's you, is a really valuable part of the process. So it is a selfish process, but also increasingly I kind of just don't really want to be doing it unless it is landing with someone. So I want to say thanks to you. If you're listening to this, you probably filled out that Google form (laughs) in my last newsletter. And uh, I'm going to answer a bunch of the questions that you sent in that Google form. I don't know how many of them I'm going to get through, but I feel really excited about actually answering direct questions that you have asked. It's not just me rambling, although I have already been doing that for a couple minutes. It's me answering things that you were really curious about. That's that's what we want, right? I listen to enough podcasts to know that the mailbag episode is usually something that is earned. You know, 20, 30 episodes in, the hosts do the mailbag situation. I'm just diving straight in. Uh, I don't know if this eventually becomes a podcast, but if it does, episode one is the mailbag, and I'm, I'm here for it. So, uh, you'll also get to hear... Because, you know, I'm, I like to over-provide. I'm a people pleaser. As we do this, you're going to hear lots of music, a lot of unreleased music from myself. I thought that would be a cute thing to do. There's a chance if you're listening, you're also really interested in following my music. You'll get to hear a few things that haven't come out yet. So I'll fire one of them up now. I'm going to get settled. Then we'll kick off. folks. So in that last newsletter, I got 42 questions. I'm not going to answer all of them today. Or am I? I don't know. I I don't think so. I'm going to actually set a timer on my phone right now for 45 minutes. I'm going to see how many I can get done in that 45. Right? And then we'll call it. And if I don't answer your question this time around, maybe I'll do it again next time I do this, if we want to have it next time. Okay. Starting the timer now. First question is from Mario from Mexico. Mario says, I discovered you thanks to the duet soundtrack 
The reason I opened this particular email so fast was actually the Google Forms part. So maybe it isn't that weird. Yeah, I was feeling a bit insecure about the Google Form thing. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Mario. This is a really sweet thing to say. Mario asks, if you could say something to your younger self, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, I don't really know where to start, but I would probably say I would attempt to engage my teenage self in a bit of real talk about the life that was about to come. And for context, you know, when I got into my 20s, I just had a real rough time. And a lot of it was due to the fact that I think I kind of over-intellectualized my experience of the world, which is to say... There are a lot of things that frightened me about the world. I had a lot of insecurities. And I think I kind of went pretty deep into some philosophical existential thought when I wasn't really emotionally prepared to do so. So I kind of fell into this nihilistic worldview, which is a fancy way of saying I didn't think anything really meant anything. And uh, that was, I don't know, that went hand in hand with some emotional sadness that is a thing I've lived with now my whole life, but I've gotten much better at dealing with, thankfully. But yeah, I mean, I guess if I could access my teenager self, that's probably, I try and say like, be more present in the world, engage in physical activity, and and please, young Tim, try not to fall down that rabbit hole of, of thinking that nothing means anything. Because uh, of course, things mean things, right? It's just that that process is a process of agency. It's a personal process. Only you decide what the world means to you and what you want in the world or from your life. Do you want love? Do you want to see or experience beauty? Do you want to learn? Do you want to help your fellow human beings or be part of something greater? These are all choices. I mean, I think inevitably... At least for me, I had to choose to want all of those things. I guess if I could go back and talk to my younger self, I'd try and convince them to make those choices sooner. Heavy shit for number one, Mario. Holy crap. I am basically going to answer these in the order that they were sent, which is, which is cute. Next question is from Max. Max says, I discovered your music through duet when I was in middle school. Since then, the soundtrack has stuck with me for years. I'm now 21, and I continue to follow your work. Max, you are so sweet. Thank you so much. Uh, Duet is going to get a mention in a bunch of these, I think. I So Duet is a video game I worked on 10 years ago, believe it or not. And um, it's one of my favorite things I've ever been part of in my life. And if you are a Duet fan, we, we have good news for you this year. You just have to hold hold tight, but... There is some exciting news about Duet coming. Can you hear that? That's my. St- I haven't eaten breakfast yet, so my stomach's going nuts. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pretend you can't hear that, um, and keep cracking. Max says, "What's a song that's been stuck in your head lately, and why?" Bonus: What's a TV show you've been enjoying? It's technically three questions, Max, but I'll allow it. What's a song that's been stuck in my head lately? I'm gonna give really. A bit of a cop-out answer. I've been working on an album with my friend Mindy Mengwang, and the two of us are pretty much all of our spare time when we're not uh, indulgently recording podcasts for imaginary people. 
that's you, Max. Um, yeah, actually, most of our spare time is going into making this new album. And I think it's a good sign that it's our songs that are stuck in my head, particularly Mindy's melodies that she plays on her instrument, the Kushung, uh, which I'm 99% sure I'm still pronouncing incorrectly. Yeah, her melodies on this instrument are really catchy, so they're stuck in my head. That's got to be good, right? That's got to be a good, uh, a good thing. Hopefully, we'll be able to share some music from that album soon. Max also asked, yeah, what TV show am I enjoying? I love it. Love talking about what What are you streaming? What's your shows? At the moment, uh, my uh, lovely partner in life and myself are working our way through. We've got three shows going at the moment. We're watching The Last of Us, the, the Pedro Pascal Pedro Pascal video game show thing. I'm, I'm loving that. That's so that's so good. But that's not news, is it? I mean, everyone knows that's good. I'm enjoying Poker Face as well with Natasha Leone. It's kind of like Murder She Wrote, but with Natasha Leone. And that's all. That's all I needed, really. And also, um, Parks and Recreation just started a rewatch of that, and uh, literally just watched episode two. And it's not very good, but I know the show gets much better. So I think we've just got to hang in there for a couple of seasons and it picks up Parks and Rec. It's it's just a beautiful, um, joyous show to watch. You know, it's just just lovely people who care about each other doing goofy things. That's I've always got time in my life for a show like that. So there you go. Those are the shows. My shows. Love my shows. The next question comes from an anonymous reader. Tim, I actually met you at PAX in maybe 2012 or 2013, and I introduced you to Jim Guthrie. I was working at the Double Fine booth at the time. Lol. I loved Duet. I really hope you make more of those beats. Thank you, anonymous person. I remember going to PAX in Boston, uh, PAX East, I think. And and meeting Jim Guthrie, which was a big deal for me. So uh, for those not aware, Jim Guthrie, a video game composer. And he also did the soundtrack to a film called Indie Game The Movie, a documentary from, from maybe, yeah, 10 years ago or a bit over 10 years ago. That documentary follows some indie game developers as they make their games and release them to the world and the reception to their games. And it was a real eye-opener watching that doco, not really knowing much about the indie video game scene at all, frankly. Watching that doco and thinking, this I love these people. Like these are my people. Of course these are my people. What am I why am I working in music? This is stupid. <laughs> I need to go to the I need to meet game developers. I need to go to video game conferences. And then I did and then I started working in video game music. Um it was just that feeling of like, oh that, yeah. I'm hanging I've been hanging in the wrong group. It's like being in high school and you're you're actually with the wrong friends and you don't realize until six months into 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 the year and you're like oh how do I end up with these mates those guys are cooler that's what meeting the video indie video game world was like for me and meeting Jim was amazing because he had worked on these projects that had directly inspired me to want to work in video games and he was just a cool dude so thank you anonymous person um, I I do I think I do remember you. Let's just go with that. <laughs> Anonymous person asks, 
do you have the rights to the music for Duet? If you do, have you considered seeing if you could get some of it on Beat Saber or Synth Riders? I just got a PSVR 2. I'm absolutely hooked on the EDM tunes. I think your music would be a good fit. Uh, I do have the rights to the music for Duet. Full stop. I do have all the rights, actually, which is not always the case when you are commissioned to work on a video game or a film or someone else's project. But something that I was really, I really was keen to do was keep my rights. So it's cool, and it's been a great, it's been a great ride, a great experience with the creators of Duet. I mean, I'd love to get it in Beat Saber or something like that. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I can email beatsaber at gmail.com. Hey guys, I love what you do. I mean, there's probably a way, right? I mean, it, it, it literally is just emailing someone generally to try and hook that stuff up. But uh, look, I'm not, I'm, I'd love to do that. Do you know someone that can help? Anonymous person who introduced me to Jim Guthrie? Maybe you do. Next one, uh, anonymous, but from someone who lives in Alice Springs. Shout out this incredible center of our nation, so-called Australia. Uh, this question is, how do you go about juggling studio time with family time? I'm about to become a family man. <clears throat> I am asked this a lot, especially by people who are trying to juggle a creative pursuit with a day job and or a family. And yeah, so if the context is I've got three kids. I've got three incredible daughters who are nine, seven, and four years old. And yeah, everything else I do in my life happens in and around and in service of my most important job, which is to be their dad. No surprise, right? Uh, but <clears throat> but I am, I, I am lucky. I, I do feel like I've found a good balance. I managed to uh, get all of my work. So I'll, I, let me tell you some of the basics. I, I won't like bore you with my entire calendar philosophy, but I do have some, I guess, structural things with my schedule that I think have helped a lot. One is I, I do my best to only work nine to five hours, Monday to Friday, which uh, I break that rule when I'm playing live or when I've got gigs, because obviously they tend to happen in the evenings or they will often happen in other cities and I'll have to travel. For example, I just spent a four-day weekend in Adelaide, um, over there for Worm Adelaide to, to perform with Mindy Mengwan. But generally, I try and maintain quite strict hours so that my partner and also my kids have real solid expectations around when I'm going to be home because I think having that kind of routine is really important. Um, they know that I'm going to be there with them on the weekends. I'm going to be there in the mornings cooking them breakfast. I'm going to be there to put them to bed at night. And, you know, sometimes you're not there because something else comes up. But um, I think especially with people who work in music or find a way to work in music full time, that can become very challenging. And it also becomes extremely hard on your partner, uh, who, who often partners pick up the slack for artists in particular and people who work in music. And, and, you know, getting that balance right is just crucial. So talk to your partner about it. That's my advice. Um, if you're trying to juggle studio time with family time. I guess the other thing I'll say, and i got to be careful how I put this. I don't want it to come out the wrong way. But I find now that I can work very quickly. And I also can work just at whenever I have the time to. So I 
no longer, I don't think I ever really did, but I no longer have to wait for inspiration, if that makes sense, to make music. Um, yeah, and that's extremely valuable. And it's a product of me doing it for so long. It means that after I record this podcast, I can open up my stuff. I mean, I'm in the studio right now. I can open up my stuff feeling confident that within 10 minutes, I'm going to be doing something very useful. And if I work for just two hours today, I will get a lot done. The only way that I can do that is that I've been literally doing it for 10,000 hours or whatever over all these years. Now it's really quick. So I don't know if that's super helpful, but maybe it's good sometimes, I think, to think about these things as these long, long, long games. And um, even if you can only do you know a half an hour a day of songwriting or 15 minutes of picking up your guitar and just noodling around or practicing a few phrases or jump on a keyboard while your kids are having dinner and just play while their dinner is going on you know like even just doing those small things regularly will keep you engaged with the creative process you might not be able to get to your studio and hang out for 10 hours noodling on modulars or whatever it is you want to do right but um maybe you might actually find new ways of working. And that definitely was the case for me, particularly when I had kids. Uh, I found better, newer, newer? I found new, better, more productive ways of working. And I've been far more uh, fulfilled, productive and happy in my creative practice since having kids and having less time. So go figure. Next question comes from Waldo. Waldo asks, would you make at least one piece of music responding to the new project name, Shieldberger? No, but for you, Waldo, I would do anything. So for Waldo, here is one piece of music that I have just made responding to the new project name, Shieldberger. Classic Waldo. Hey, how how's my time going? Let me check. Oh, yeah. Oh, I still got some. I'm going to be able to answer a few more of these than I thought, I reckon. Next question comes from an anonymous subscriber to my newsletter. What is your most outrageous once-in-a-lifetime alignment of all planets musical goal? This, again, is a cop-out answer. And I apologize. And it also, this is the kind of answer that makes me seem like I'm very not fun, right? Or just maybe not imaginative. But I just have to be straight with you. I don't think about it that way. I don't have like a wish list of, oh my God, imagine if this happened, right? That's not true. I mean, I've got some things that would be cool. I guess it's like, I have been extremely lucky to have been able to do a lot of things that I never would have expected to be able to do, right? That includes working on video games that people love or you know, touring in my friend's band and playing Coachella and Saturday Night Live. Like these, are, these are outrageous once-in-a-lifetime alignment of all planets musical goals that were never in my to-do list or bucket list. And I, I've just been so fortunate to be able to do those some of these things. So 
Yeah, I think I kind of, in a way, at least for myself, believe that it's quite healthy to not have those outrageous goals. Even even entertaining them as a flight of fancy sometimes, I think, can lead to toxic thinking for artists. And I know, again, it makes me sound like a wet blanket. <laughs> I can't just have fun and dream up like, well, wouldn't it be cool if... But yeah, once you start having those kind of wild dreams, maybe particularly because I've experienced a couple of them, I kind of am, I'm nervous. I don't really want to let myself think that those things are possible because, frankly, they're not really possible. Except then they kind of were a couple times. And now, yeah, you know what? I, do you know what I mean? It's a very, like, what do you, first world problem or whatever. Like, I'm, it's a very privileged problem to have. Oh, some amazing shit happened to me. I better not dream about more amazing shit happening to me. But hey, I did think of one actually just now. My most outrageous once in a lifetime alignment of all planets musical goal would be that my personal, one of my personal musical heroes, Fortet, listened to my music. He doesn't even have to like it. Would just be cool if he heard it. Next question is from Sam. What one piece of advice would you give yourself 10 years ago? Nothing about investing in Bitcoin, please. Yeah. What? what uh, 10 years ago. Where was I? What was I doing 10? Well, 10, yeah, 10 years ago is basically I just when I'd finished doing the Gautier touring, which was a wild international experience. And, and it was just before I started working with Double J. And I think the piece of advice I would give myself is to trust my gut in all things, particularly professionally, because I have had a continued to have a really fortunate run and it's and like a, a really fortunate series of cool things that I've been able to do. And in every case, it's been me following my gut. Um, so maybe there are some good things that come from being older. Right. And we, I hate to break it to you, Sam, but we're all getting older. That includes you and me. Uh, But I think maybe one of the things about getting older is that if you are present and you are always learning and you are thoughtful and mindful and listening, you get a lot better at knowing probably, sort of, kind of, what you should be doing, right? And that's about listening to your gut a lot of the time. And it was my my gut feeling that got me into video game music. It was my gut feeling that got me into radio back in the day. It was, you know, when I followed my gut, great things have happened. So that's a piece of advice that I would give myself. And and yeah, and I've kind of taken anyway. Did I strangely meet some future version of myself 10 years ago? Who was that guy with that funny mustache? It was about the same height as me, but noticeably weathered and older, as if he'd spent the last 10 years of his life parenting small children. Who was that guy who told me to trust my gut? It was me. This is fun. I mean, it's fun for me. I hope you're getting something out of it. Apologies to some someone who's just waiting for their question to get answered. You hurry up with all these crappy questions and get to my one? Sorry, mate. Okay, 
Here's one from Cam. Shout out, Cam. Cam often also appears on my Twitch streams, which I don't do very often, but when I do a Twitch stream, Cam often turns up. Cam and I, so I love that, Cam, that you're here in this medium also. Cam and I have a relationship in real life that I have purposefully been vague about on Twitch, and I will continue that tradition here. So Cam is a person in my life, but you'll have to figure out, maybe we can drop clues as to who who Cam might be, right? What's our relationship? Cam says, "Um, I'm out here camping in the Yarra Valley, in our combi. That's nice. Cam says, I enjoy sitting in my study, playing with music stuff in Ableton and on guitar quite a lot. I want to get better at it and maybe actually finish something. But I have no idea who I am as a musician, or who I want to be, or what I want out of it. I don't have a particular question that I think will help with this. What sort of questions would you recommend? It's a tricky cam. I mean, I like it though. I like it. I think I know what you're asking. You're basically saying that you're 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 making music as a personal pursuit, and you're really in, you're enjoying doing it. Uh, and you, but you're not really sure what else you should be getting out of it. Is that right? I think you are getting you're getting what you I think you are getting what you want out of it. It sounds like you're really enjoying doing it. It's an interesting thing. I think once you get to that point where you're like, oh, I think I'm creating stuff, or oh, maybe I want this stuff in the world. Maybe I want my name on it. Maybe I want other people listening to it. Um, it can feel like you're right to feel trepidatious about it, Cam, because it is. The process of going from just tinkering or just, you know, learning and enjoying on your own to um, putting a stamp on something and saying, I, I think this is a thing that you should listen to, world. Uh, that process is precarious. There have been books written as to the um, specific psychological dangers of going through that process. And frankly, it is that specific process of putting yourself out there that, um, that has led to a lot, of, a lot of sadness and anxiety amongst artists. That's not to put you off doing it, you know. It really isn't. But you're right to be asking questions about it before you do. What sort of questions would I recommend? Well, maybe don't stress too much about the questions and just make the music. And you'll know when you want to share it with people. it'll, It'll be irresistible, that feeling, when you really feel it. And in terms of figuring out who you are as a musician, I I don't know who I am as a musician. So if that helps you. Yeah, don't stress about it. (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) Another question here from someone who has loosely been following my releases since the faux pas days, which I believe was back in the 70s, 1870s. The question here is, I used to use Bandcamp and buy lots of music, but now it's predominantly Spotify. As a user, it's bloody awesome. However, I do worry that I'm not, or they're not, contributing enough to artists. As an artist, what are your thoughts on streaming services in general? Do they help pay the bills? This could be a whole episode. I mean, this could be an hour, my answer. So I'll try to keep it brief. It's funny, just yesterday, actually, I was at like a industry drinks thing that was put together by my distributor, which is essentially the company that 
is the the middle the middleman or middle person that gets my music onto Spotify and Apple and all of the rest, right? And they had organized some drinks for a bunch of uh, the artists and labels that use their service to to just chat and hang out. Um, and we yeah we were talking a bit about Spotify. It, it always comes up, right? It's weird. Don't you think it's weird? I mean, you. Um, I won't out you, but you've you've admitted elsewhere that you're you're an older person. If you forgive me saying that, you're not really, but you know what I'm. You you have lived enough decades to know that we have not. We didn't always listen to music like this. Like this is still new, really new. And um, the main thing that freaks me out is the monolithic nature of it, right? That's the thing I think that feels a bit invisible. And particularly if you've grown up only ever listening to Spotify or only ever knowing Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Amazon Music, as that's where music comes from. Like if that's if that's the only thing you really have ever experienced, then you don't realize that it used to be much more nuanced and much more um, colorful. And there was much more space for different ways of engaging with music so it's really weird that we all now just use the same app on our phone that's my most basic zoom out thought on it that it's just unsatisfactory in that way the 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 amount of control that those companies have over the entire experience of music and that there's no real like i don't see proper ways out of that currently really I mean, there's a lot of incredible ideas and people working on the fringes on new platforms or new ways of doing things or reviving old ways of doing things, whether it's old mediums or, um, but yeah, in terms of, I mean, I think you also asked specifically about money that you worry that you're not contributing money to artists. Right. And I mean, that's, that's just a thing I think that we all increasingly worry about in the era of late capitalism, post-capitalism, especially in the climate crisis era right we're all worried that our money which is the thing that we've been told is the is the value that we that we own like that is that's the stuff we have that can make a difference is our money i think we all worry that we're not putting the money in the right spot when you go to the service station and you buy a packet of chips or something and you're like well i probably should have bought some locally made food and instead i bought a packet of chips from the 7-eleven like we worry about that stuff constantly, right? And it's that weird thing where it's like, I think there is something to be said for being individually responsible and also for in- being role models to each other on a very local level in your own groups of friends and your family. There's something to be said for taking that individual responsibility on. But equally, we need change at these big systemic levels that none of us individually can move. So... Yeah, it's not super helpful, is that? I mean, this question, I tend to zoom way too far out. But how about I say this? If you are, if you have financial capacity and you want to support the artists that you love, just find other ways. You don't necessarily have to use Bandcamp to listen to music, but you can still just buy releases on Bandcamp. Or you can just, you can hit up your favorite artist. I'm not saying you have to do this for me. You can hit up your favorite artist and just say, what's your email address? And then use PayPal just to send them money. Like you can do, you can do that if that's something that's going to make you feel good or feel better about it. Um, 
but we all, we all use Spotify. But I think the, the, the more that we all are conscious of how strange it is and how it doesn't have to be that way, I often think about a term that Matt Dryhurst, who's a great thinker on all things, he used the term a few times back in a couple of years ago, the term platform fatalism, okay? Which is essentially the idea that because we use Google currently to search the internet and because we use Spotify to listen to music and we use YouTube and Netflix, because these things have been so dominant in our lives in the last five to 10 years, it's really easy to just think that that is how it will always be. But all of those platforms are very, very new in the history of human civilization or even just in the recent history of pop culture. So things do change and change can be affected by your individual um, your your individual behaviors. It can, right? Um, so does that help, mate? Next question is from Lisa. Tim, a basic one. Is life better off the socials? Yes, it is. But that's just because that's what I want right now. But then that's what I'm ready to do. But uh, with a caveat, though. So, for context, uh, I think I stopped using Facebook maybe four or five years ago. I stopped using Twitter a couple of years ago and I've been sort of on and off Instagram uh, pretty firmly off it since last December I'm probably going to end up going back on these socials just to kind of say like hey here's the new song I put out Uh, but I'm I'm not I don't have the apps on my phone I'm not scrolling the feeds I I have to I end up in DMs just because it's it's how people it's sometimes it's the only way you can really get people's attention or, or have conversations, especially with people overseas. So I'm, I'm still in Insta DMs a bit. But is my life better? 100%. I'm, I'm reading more books. I'm spending less time on my phone. And it's just some of those general mental health benefits that I think we all now know, but it's kind of hard to, to take the leap, I know, for a lot of people. But yeah, social media encourages you to compare your life to other people in and usually in a in a toxic way. Social media, particularly for artists and musicians, it encourages you to think about your life and your music in terms of what it's going to look like for other people, um which just is a often an an unnecessary and often a very unhelpful framing device for your music and and for your life. Uh yeah, and I think my attention spans may be like um, regenerating a little. So there's a lot to like about not being on those places. But there is things I miss. Uh, there is this kind of sense of being a, uh, being across things, being aware of things. I'm now often in my friendship groups and at work as well. I'm often behind the news. So everyone else will know about a thing that's happened and I won't. I actually am enjoying it. I've kind of given up on that feeling like I have to I have to be on top of it and know what everyone else knows. It's made me realize like what a ridiculous thing that is. 
And it's kind of fun because now other people get to fill me in on something that I've missed and I get to hear it through their voice and through their perspective. And I mean their human voice, right? their real voice. That's kind of cool. And then they can pull the, you know, they get their phone out and they show me a thing that they found on TikTok. And that's like a human experience I get to share with that person because they're showing me a thing. It's way different to like a retweet or something, which is just, it's now just all feels like bullshit. But I'm trying to not be judgmental because I just know that there is a lot of value still in those places and those platforms. And um, that good things can happen there. But, you know, good things can happen at an abattoir, right? Like you can strike up a great friendship with the person that is next in line in the trenches in uh, in war. (laughs) Okay, it's just like very dark analogy there, right? But, you know, good things happen in terrible places. I happen to now believe that social media platforms are terrible, toxic things for humanity right i mean i've kind of internalized that worldview a, a little bit so far now like it's so deep that I'm, I'm not sure i can come back from it but that's not to say that there aren't great humans they're doing great things yeah i should mention i mean i'll probably say it again at the end but if you have a question you can email it to me i may do this again it's kind of fun and indulgent and i love fun indulgent things Wendy from Brisbane has a question. Wendy from Mianjin is just a dead set legend of the Spirit Level Discord server and of my life. If Wendy asks a question, A, I'm always going to answer. And B, I'm going to be kind of frightened because Wendy tends to ask really intense questions. I remember when I was on Instagram writing a series of stories, which was a thing I would do a fair bit, just ranting. Really just rambling, ranting and rambling about something to do with the music industry or about my feelings about my music or I don't, it doesn't even matter exactly what it was. I just remember Wendy DM'd me one simple sentence, one simple question. She DM'd me in the middle of me kind of doing this storm of, of long rants that I'm sure we, you know, were insightful and helpful. Uh, but yeah, Wendy just DM'd me. She DM'd, what do you want? Question mark. And it was amazing because it just, it actually did at the time cut through all of the shit that I was rambling about and it just got to the heart of it. Like, what do I, why am I, what do I want? Right? I mean, yeah, it's definitely aligned with the stuff that I've been thinking about recently that was in my last newsletter, which is me kind of critiquing a bit my desire to, to do this, what I'm doing literally right now, the desire I have to to talk and to uh, share ideas and to share my experience and to synthesize things and regurgitate them creatively, whether it's music or newsletters or rambles into a microphone. Why? What do I want? That was the question from Wendy. I still think about that. Wendy has a new question. What is it? Okay. How do you balance the desire to put out music slash content that people will like Versus the desire to avoid stalkers slash creepy people. I recently read about Björk's stalker and it freaked me out. Well, hmm. I can answer this in a humorous way or in an um, authentic way. So I'll start with the humorous way, which is, of course, self-deprecating. I, I am not going to have stalkers or creepy people in my life, Wendy. Um, I don't think I as genetically have achieved the level of charisma required. So I do. it is not something that I think about, just straight up. 
That's my humorous self-deprecating answer. It's also my real answer. Uh, I have a desire to put stuff out, music and content, and I, I do hope that people get value from it. I don't, I'm not really nervous that people are going to stalk me. I just, I just, yeah. And in terms of creepy people, like they exist, but a lot of people that seem, I mean, some people are dangerous, very rarely, right? But um, some people that you might use the word creepy for are actually just a little different. And I've got a lot of people in my life that are a little different in terms of their behaviors or the way that they see the world or the way they process their emotions, the, the words they use, the cadence they have. Um, I feel relatively comfortable around people who maybe don't have the same facility of, you know, the conventional way of behaving. So there's that too. I guess, Wendy, too, I mean, I've, I have been around people who have had to deal with the kind of people you're talking about. And so I have seen that and it is, it is scary. Um, but I, it's not going to happen to me, mate. Thank you, Wendy, for your concern, <laughs> if that's what that was. <laughs> Love it. Great questions from Wendy, always. Timer is coming up. I can squeeze a couple more in though, I reckon. Here's a question from an anonymous subscriber. When releasing music, how do you cope with the crippling fear that it may unintentionally rip off some other artist slash song slash soundtrack? Or is that just not a thing for you? Really interesting question. I love this question. I think I... One of the reasons why I'm enjoying making music so much now, I think, is that I've largely gotten over the feeling that my, that I'm wearing my influences too much on my sleeve. And this is a specific thing, I think, in dance music and in electronic music, where the narrative of electronic music is tied with technology, progress, futurism, evolution, pushing forward. That's such a key pillar, like philosophically of electronic music in the last 50 to 100 years that there is a culture of you must always find your new your new sound your new angle don't replicate the thing that's come before some of the most acclaimed heralded artists especially in electronic music are the ones who feel like they've discovered a thing that no one has ever done in the history of sound right so i definitely internalized a bit of that i reckon when i got specifically interested in electronic music it's interesting though being when you step back and you have a broader view of music there are musical traditions where the opposite is true where you are actually doing a great service to your type of music if you are paying tribute paying homage to what's come before folk music obviously in and folk music is such a broad term but almost by definition folk music is the um the staunch uh, the the staunch, what am I looking for? Like the 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 keepers of the flame, right? Folk music doesn't evolve, right? In order to preserve the traditions, that's the word I was looking for. You know, it's the staunch preservation of of traditions and of stories and of feelings and of human experience from hundreds thousands of years ago, right? If all if all any of us were ever doing was trying to come up with something new, we would forget the past 
we, we need to do both at once, right? Me ripping off other people, like um, I often make music directly inspired by other songs or other artists, and I always have, and I don't really feel shame about doing that now because that's how we, that's how most of us make stuff is we hear something we like and we we make a new thing. I'm lucky in some ways, maybe that I think like my process is just so wonky, or I don't know, the way I think about music is hopefully unique enough that it's very rare that I make a piece of music that doesn't sound like me in some way even if you might be able to look at it and go yep this one sounds like tim was listening to a lot of john hopkins right uh this one sounds like he just discovered uh kraut rock (laughs) you know oh right tim's just found afrobeat and now there's afrobeat rhythms in everything like i think i i listen to my own music well i mean i don't but i can look at my own music and see those patterns but I think there's always a sort of a me-ness that runs through that I can recognize as well. So I don't stress too much about it. What the interesting thing is, my friend, is uh, AI. Um, and every conversation ends up turning to AI at some point these days. But we are headed rapidly for a future where in an instant software can recognize not just obvious samples or obvious melodic or lyrical ripoffs. We're headed for a future where some sort of variation on a neural network can analyze a piece of music and just break it down like it breaks down the DNA of a human, the human genome, right? Like that is the future and that future is actually in our lifetimes. It's going to cause some very complicated ripple effects with copyright and the nature of ownership of, of intellectual property but also the, nat- the the fundamental nature of creativity itself will, will kind of come into question and we'll, we will end up, I think, having to have some sort of like fundamental renaissance of thinking around how we, what we think art is um, and what we think creativity is. My hope is that we get to a place where, yeah, I don't know, these things aren't tied to ownership, that no one really owns anything and that art and culture kind of just can, can be... Uh, freely moving throughout our shared experience as humans but i don't know how that happens in the age of climate crisis (laughs) and we possibly all transcend into a um beyond space and time before then so i'll see you there i have one time for one more this question comes from zed I once sent you a DM from Montana raving about a music festival in Tennessee called Big Ears. You should get the ABC to pay you to go. (laughs) Doesn't work like that, Zed, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Zed says, do you miss doing the late night experimental music show on Triple J? Triple J isn't the same without folks like you and Fenella Kernerbone. Shout out Fenella Kernerbone, by the way, who I, I took over from Fenella on Sunday nights on Triple J many years ago now. And Fenella had already been doing that for like 11 years. So I kind of felt a bit like I just picked up where Fenella had, had dropped off. Um, I was very lucky to get that get that honor. I stopped doing that show. You're talking about something more. I stopped doing that show so I could focus on my music and do stuff like this. <laughs> so I hope you're enjoying this, Zed. But yeah, of course I miss it. Oh my God. Yeah. Two hours every week to champion music that I thought was really important and meaningful and beautiful. And to do that for a national audience in Australia on a radio station that is known around the world. Yeah, I mean, just one of many beautiful things that I'm grateful to have had the experience of doing. That gratitude in some ways 
means that I'm not sitting pining for it. You know, I, I recognize that I got to do something real cool with that show. I'd love to do something like it again. But also it was time for someone else to, to do that, I think, um, at Triple J. I don't think, yeah, I think I think I had had my crack at it and I was quite happy to, to move on. And, and I hope that at some point in the future, some show like that can exist again on that station. Okay, well, I mean, I actually got through a lot of questions there. And I've possibly bored the hell out of you. If you are still listening, you are probably my mum. Hey, mum. 